Welcome back to By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Eugene Perrier, here with Sean Blackman. And as always, we're your guide to connecting the political, social, and economic movements shaping the world around us. And we are turning our attention here to some Brexit-related affairs, and we are very happy to be joined by Patrick Hennessing, who is a writer, global affairs analyst, and co-founder and executive editor of 21st Century Wire. Patrick, thank you so much for being back with us. Great to be with you guys. Well, quite a bit of drama in the United Kingdom here today as uh, Boris Johnson has set the date for a Queen's speech, as it were. So essentially, uh, for those who don't know, that's the start of a new parliament, as it were. But it usually is a relatively short prorogation of parliament, as it's called. This one would be 17 October is when it would start here. So there's a number of people who are arguing that this is potentially— well, let me put it to you like this, Patrick, and, and get your thoughts on this. I mean, it's certainly cynical to me. I mean, it's obviously designed to limit the amount of time to debate the issue of Brexit. Johnson is committed to a no-deal Brexit. That being said, between September 3rd and 11 and October 17 and 31, there is discussion that's just a week shorter than what they would normally have, given that there's about to be a three-week recess for the party conferences. So uh, it's certainly cynical. Don't know if it's a really illegal or a constitutional crisis, as some have said. But nevertheless, it does seem to portend that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is going to try to push forward a no-deal Brexit and that the Queen is not, like in many people's fantasies here, going to stand in his way, it seems. Yeah. So for, firstly, off the, off the top, uh, it could become a constitutional crisis but probably not for the reasons uh, that are being talked about widely right now. Uh, this move by uh, the new prime minister is constitutional. Yes, it is legal. The problem is it comes at a time uh, that many would consider to be uh, a time of national crisis uh, and a major watershed moment for the country uh, in, its, in its history. This is a, a big event leaving the European Union after being within the European Union for so many decades. So this is where the problem lies. But the, re- the real problem lies, it could, in, in a funny way, this could create, or not so funny way, this could create a backlash also against uh, the royal family, against the queen in, in, in particular. Because uh, what it does is it exposes that the it's it's only Her Majesty's government in name only, and uh, a lot of people have pointed this out for years that the Queen is actually mediatized. In other words, has no real power, is not really involved in the political processes of the country, but yet uh, is has basically they've used the Queen in this case to rubber stamp uh, this decision uh, by the uh, Brexiteer wing of the Tory government. So this could create, I think, in the long run, potentially uh, it could spin into a public backlash against the royal family. But that would be a constitutional crisis because Britain's a constitutional monarchy. And then then the debate goes to whether people are talking about the sovereignty of parliament versus the sovereignty of the queen or the queen as the sovereign representing the people's sovereignty. This is the, the way that the system was supposed to be designed. Uh, so then the debate is whether parliament should decide on how Brexit should go or whether the people's vote in the referendum in June of 2016 was the decision. And the government's job is to execute that decision or execute the will of the people or execute the will of the sovereign, and uh, whether it's the queen representing the people or the people themselves. That's, that's the complicated part 
of the discussion. Uh, but uh, it, it, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't count my chickens before they hatch. To use a really bad pun uh, cliche there, uh, because anything could happen in the next couple of weeks. And I think it, it seems to me with the spring and Boris Johnson's step that he has some sort of ace in his back pocket. And that ace most likely would be that he believes or has talked through back channels that there is going to be a deal uh, with the European Union. And that it's a, it could just be a formality and that could run through uh, on October 17th, 18th, when the EU is having its uh, final pre-Brexit summit on the matter. That, that's that's how I'm reading this is Boris Johnson is attempting to uh, implement and, and and roll out Trumpian-like uh, theatrics, basically, uh, and he's doing it for maximum effect. And there's a good reason for that. There's a general election coming, and Boris Johnson will be able to go to the electorate and say, "I delivered Brexit. Nobody else could do it before. I did it." And then, with that, hoping to swing more votes in, in onto their side. Uh, for a general election. That's so theatrics, symbolism, playing hardball. These are all the things uh, that I believe Boris Johnson is attempting to do. And and this is not just about Brexit. It's about the political survival of the Tories of of Boris Johnson as the the new prime minister. No, I I think those those points are all very well taken and and sort of interesting the way that he set this up in many ways. I mean, obviously, I think Labor will attempt to uh, table a no-confidence motion, but I think there's so many neoliberal types that, uh, you know, obviously oppose Brexit, but, you know, would probably rather be uh, drawn and quartered than have Jeremy Corbyn become prime minister, so they probably will not, that will probably not succeed in my view. But given that the Queen's speech is in and of itself a motion of confidence, Johnson has set it up in such a way that if the Queen's speech is on the 17th and it gets voted down, essentially, in the way that these things go, that 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 two-week period would mean on the date of Brexit, currently, October 31st, would be basically the date that you would call a general election and then you would have it December 5th. So, I mean, he's set it up sort of nicely for himself in many ways to perhaps— you know, have all of the opposition parties vote against, uh, it's not exactly how it works, but essentially vote against the Queen's speech, allow him to call the general election that lines up very neatly with Brexit. And as you said, then allow him to campaign on having done this thing that no one else could do, uh, despite the fact that it was sort of the uh, the outgrowth of the referendum. So it seems like uh, for those who are opposed to Brexit, their deep opposition to any sort of uh, you know, more progressive social democratic government uh, from Jeremy Corbyn could be the thing that uh, ultimately undoes their inability to actually stop the process or, you know, even get any sort of extension or, or anything of that matter. No, you're, you're so you're so good to have pointed that out because that is that is the problem. There is no viable opposition uh, in parliament. They've managed to successfully split. And by the way, the, the split of the Labour Party effectively through various uh, scandals and various sort of uh, upheavals like the anti-Semitism in the labor uh, crisis that was, I, I believe, and many others believe was manufactured, uh, not just by the neo-lib uh, Blairites in the labor f- camp, but also by Rupert Murdoch, by the Times, by the Tory party uh, themselves. Uh, so th- they've played this to an absolute Machiavellian crescendo right now where they're able to take advantage of complete disarray uh, in the opposition having co-opted and bought off and 
and diverted uh, all sorts of various factions and sub-factions there. But there's still going to be uh, legal challenges. Uh, in the meantime, I've, uh, in Scotland, there's court challenges. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, leader of the SNP, she's also coming front and center, sort of opposing this. And there, there, there might be a few spanners in the, in the in the works for the Tories in in the interim. But when the Queen's speech comes, and that'll be on, uh, I think it's October 14th. Or something right when the day when they're coming back, that's going to be a major national event, and this is one of the longest sessions of Parliament in history of Parliament in 400 years. Uh, so the, when, when the Queen comes back, it's going to be very dramatic, and there'll be sort of Brexit overtones, Brexit announcements made in the Queen's speech, and and the whole nation will grind to a halt. Uh, the the drama will build up from today. And, and the tension will build up from today, and that will be the sort of uh, the climax of it uh, on the Queen's speech. And everybody will be watching that. Trust me, that's going to be a major national event, and, and the country and the Parliament will have to unite at least temporarily around that event, uh, because otherwise it will be a, a, a real constitutional crisis. Uh, the, the the whole concept of the monarchy is contentious. Uh, in many quarters in the country and has been for many decades. Uh, it's only been the fact that uh, they, they managed to stay out of the fray, <laughs> that they've managed to, to sort of remain in the at least symbolic position that they're in. This could change all that. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, certainly there's some tectonic shifts <laughs> in British society potentially through all of this. And uh, the fact that you've got a general election and you've got uh, Britain exiting out of the EU uh, it really in the same season uh, means that uh, this is tumultuous for British politics and society. There's there's no doubt about it. Yeah, no, I think that's a it's very good point, very well taken point. And certainly, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the issue of the Trumpian theatrics earlier. Donald Trump has been wading into this issue more and more this morning, having a little bit of a Twitter back and forth with Jeremy Corbyn uh, over this issue. Trump uh, sort of taunting Corbyn, saying he cannot succeed in any sort of no confidence motion because Boris Johnson's exactly what the UK needs. Uh, Corbyn responding, and I think quite correctly here, uh, that what the president means is uh, a more pliant prime minister would be willing to open up a lot of areas of the UK to U.S. investment. And I'm curious your thoughts, Patrick, about that various issue. I mean, it's obviously one of the biggest issues vis-a-vis -vis Brexit is what sort of deal. I mean, of course, Donald Trump saying they'll do a quote-unquote great deal with the UK. Um, <clears throat> certainly, you know, a number of the more right-leaning think tanks, Heritage Foundation and others have been putting uh, and briefing about this really for a number of months about what they think that could potentially look like. So certainly some are primed and ready to go here. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, saying there will be no deal with the post-British, uh, post-Brexit Britain, which, you know, quite frankly seems uh, – fake to me uh, and really a negotiating strategy to try to influence the parliament in and of itself. I think there'll be a great rush by many U.S. businesses to want to try to do something over there with the U.K. Uh, and obviously the U.K. is also one of the largest foreign investors in the United States as well. So there's a lot to be done going both ways there. H how do you think the U.K. will sit uh, after that? Will they, will they be able to use perhaps the Trump presidency to uh, gain something favorable? Or do, are you thinking more, and this is certainly what many have been warning about, that it could be something more like a smash and grab raid by U.S. corporations on things like even the NHS? 
Yeah, no, I, I think there's two ways. There's two definitely two ways to look at this. Uh, a bilateral trade deal uh, between the United States and Britain. This would be the sort of panacea to all the economic woes and fears of crashing out of the European Union uh, so so quickly uh, by Britain or in a no deal Brexit. Economic worries, economic. Uh, concerns, uh, business concerns are definitely at the top of the list of everything. Then comes regulatory concerns. Then come other things like uh, shared agreements with the European Union and what uh, legal conventions they're going to opt in or out of or uh, regulatory conventions. There's immigration issues too. But if the if Britain, if Boris Johnson can go to his electorate and Trust me, this is exactly what's going to happen, uh, I, I believe. He's going to say, we have signed this fantastic deal with the United States, with the Trump administration, and it's going to mean an economic boost for Britain. Because even if Britain gets a little bit more access to U.S. markets, it's, it's immediately going to create a surge in a much smaller British economy. For the United States, uh, they'll be able to send jobs over here if there's a deregula deregulation push. And that is absolutely what the United States is pushing for, is deregulation, uh, privatization, access to possibly buying in on certain ass state assets that might be up for sale. And that is the Tory conservative playbook for decades, which is asset stripping and privatization so and deregulation. So this is what they want. This is what Trump wants. And if you look at the announcement of today's uh, 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 shutting down of parliament, uh, the, the pound dropped. So what's happened? The dollar and the pound are, are becoming normalized. That hasn't happened in a very long time. So this is setting this, 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 the scene for perfect bilateral trade, uh, deal between the U S and Britain. And in terms of, uh, you know, defense, this could be huge for British defense if British aerospace or some other British companies are allowed a, a bigger piece of the pie, as it were, uh, in the United States. Uh, BA Systems already have has operations in the U.S. That would create a bump. So in terms of the U.S., they just want to dump products uh, on the British market. But to do that, there needs to be deregulation. They need to strip out a lot of the EU regulations that have been there before. Uh, this sort of Brexit exit would uh, facilitate that for the U.S. So they'd be able to dump their cheap agricultural products over here, uh, maybe things that wouldn't normally pass muster. Uh, they'll be able to come in the in the back door here uh, and end up on supermarket shelves, as an example. So th there's all of those sort of things. So long term, it's it could be a disaster for for Britain uh, in the long term. In the short term, they could get an economic high, uh, boost. And this would definitely help, at least the stock market bounce would help Boris Johnson and the general coming up. It would help Trump as well, showing that the special relationship is back on track, et cetera. And the U.S. has just increased to and opened up a new market for its products so he can go back to his base and, and, and shout about that too. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a very important point and a very relevant point. One sort of you know, interesting element for me that I'll be interested to see in any sort of U.S. deal with the U.K. would be around tax shelters in the IRS. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg, for instance, prominent sort of Tory Brexiteer, also one of the two privy council uh, counselors meeting with the Queen when she made the announcement here uh, about the prorogation. But, you know, he's made a big point that he thinks the Cayman Islands and the Guernsey Islands and all those different sort of tax shelters should be not only allowed to continue to exist, but perhaps enhanced. And, you know, obviously the United States under the Obama administration 
administration uh, was making a major push for the UK, for Switzerland, for other countries to reveal more and more in terms of tax shelters. But I, I wonder in, in and of itself if the United States may also try to slip something in there. I don't think they'll make a big deal out of it to perhaps shield Britain a little bit and allow them to become a, a to, to bring in even more capital, despite the fact that I think many people feel that. And I I actually don't think this is true either, but that London loses some of its international financial luster uh, by not being a part of the the European Union if it can become more of a uh, site for an inflow of capital because no one's looking too closely at who owns what and who's reporting what. uh, That also could certainly give a little brief boost to the economy, but it might also be something that uh, a Trump administration, given their already tax-cutting policies, might be open to putting together. I mean, who knows if this will happen, but it's another one of the number of little things, and this is why I think your point is so well taken, that I think the U.S. could do to at least give sort of Sugar highs to the UK economy, even if longer term uh, doesn't work out uh, as, as well as perhaps uh, at least you know the Tories are hoping for. No, there absolutely that would be the plan. That would absolutely be the plan is to to make Britain uh, an attractive offshore uh, destination uh, for American money. And uh, the city of London, if, if it's less regulated than Wall Street, uh, they will be able to multiply money as well uh, in terms of uh, fractional reserve requirements and things like that. This has always been a role that the city of London has played. It's always been less regulated than the United States in that sense. So, But not only that, as an offshore destination. So there are, like you mentioned, some of those smaller offshore destinations, traditionally like the Isle of Man, uh, Jersey and Guernsey. Uh, that's within the immediate sphere of Britain. But Britain itself could become a, a tax haven for for U.S. money, at least in the short term. At least in the short term, nothing's permanent uh, when when a new government could come in in Britain and, and undo that in, in five years or something like that. But uh, it's, it's definitely a possibility. And that would also, as you said, uh, bring in some of the continental money from, from Europe uh, into the U.K., making it still an attractive uh, place to park your assets and to run hedge funds and all sorts of other holding companies and corporate corporate headquarters and so forth. Britain, under this government, if Boris Johnson gets elected, believe me, it's going to be a festival of deregulation and privatization. And so that's the that's the game plan. Anybody that's that's watched Tory policy for the last thirty or forty years, uh, you can expect that it, this is everything from the past on steroids. That's what you're going to get going forward. Well, a lot to be said there and uh, quite a bit to continue to cover. Really appreciate you being willing to join us here on the show, Patrick. We're going to have to leave it there for now. We're going to go to a break here on By Any Means Necessary here on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. We'll be back. Stay with us. By Any Means Necessary. 